Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to episode 40 of Hello, Fellow Kids. Are we really already at 40? We're at 40. And if, oh you, my take, gosh. if you take into account the, like, the extra episodes, like, outside of the once a month thing, we've actually released close to 50. But 40 okay. consecutive months of content, so. This month we read Rhea and the Blood of the Nectar by Payal Doshi. Uh, this is a brand new release. Uh, it just came out on June 15th from Mango and Marigold Press, and the author's publicist was kind enough to send us some pre-release copies. And they're not even, like, ARC paperbacks. They're, like, the nice finished hardcover. It's got, like, a ribbon bookmark, and it's got some, like, like some of the gilt letters on the, the cover. Like, it's a really nice presentation. For realsies, yeah. I was, like, really impressed when I saw it. Yeah. I was like, this looks like a real book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, uh, just quick thoughts? What'd you think? Okay, so I finished the book last night, mm-hmm. and uh, I went to give my Goodreads rating, and I saw that Josh had finished the book, and he had not put his rating, and it always makes me a little bit nervous Every time I don't see his rating, I get, I don't know, I think maybe you just don't want to do spoilers or influence what my opinion will be. Sometimes, uh, in the case of this one, I thought I had tapped the star, but it just didn't register, and then I was too lazy to go back. Okay, (laughs) but uh, I did see that you had put it on shelves, and I did not realize you had this snotty shelf, but I have snotty shelves too. Like, famously, I have one that's just poop, but this... (laughs) This does not go on the poop shelf. I think um, the one that Josh put it on is like, what was it, like untapped potential? It, or it's mis potential. potential, yeah. Miss potential, which I think summed this up. Like, this is not at all a bad book. Yeah. This is actually quite a good book. It was just missing some elements for me. Like, there really isn't a sense of humor in this, and that's usually what kind of helps me fall in love with the characters mm-hmm. or at least in like with them. And we didn't really get any humor. Yeah. Uh, but also no one's a huge idiot, which I also enjoyed. And even when they're like not exactly acting rationally, it's addressed in text, which I think a lot of times when we've read books and someone's acting like a jerk, like no one's calling them on it and, it's just sort of right. understood in the text, like, no, this is the main character, so they get to do what they want. Right. Like, in prepped. We're just like, she's just kind of a jerk, and no one's saying anything, and we're like, how is she the hero? And she's not. But um, Rhea acts certain ways, and then she gets called out for it immediately, mm-hmm. or shortly immediately, and she actually kind of realistically responds to it, just like, no, I'm the I'm the main character. <laughs> But but then, like, actually does take a second to, like, reflect and make decisions going forward to not fall into old thought patterns or old behaviors, which I appreciated. I thought it was this is a very, um, I'd say, emotionally healthy book, but mm-hmm. it feels like while trying to do everything correct that way and everything like kind of technically correct, it still missed that something that's going to make you love it. Which you can't be taught. I mean, this is not quite as the Diane Duane situation where we're like, okay, I can't, you know, technically everything's fine here. I still don't care. I cared enough. It just wasn't enough to bump it to a four star. So this is more like three and a half for me. 
I'd, I wouldn't mind reading the next book. So that's always a good, you know, a good indicator where I'm like, no, right. I'd, I'd visit this universe again. That's fine. Yeah, my uh, my missed potential shelf is usually for stuff that I would rate uh, in the two to three star range where it's like, it's different from rating it there and being like, yeah, let's be honest, that's all it was ever going to get. Those are the ones where it's like, I definitely see where it could get up into that higher space and I want it to. Like, I actually, like, those are books that I'm like, I'm rooting for. I kind of get the Tyra Banks thing of like, we were rooting for you. Um, so like with this one, it's like, you know, I really, I really did want it to achieve those heights. And I saw flashes of, you know, things that it could have maybe done differently or things like that, where I'm like, I really see where there's potential there. And I could definitely see how the author could uh, get to that point. Um, I think that it's just falling short in this specific title. I was looking at the uh, the cover actually last night after I, I had finished all of my notes and everything, and it's like a really pretty cover. But then when you kind of look at it, it's just kind of like kind of slapdash of a lot of different things that you encounter over the course of the story. And that's a little bit like kind of how I feel about the book, where it's like it like it looks like it's nice and stuff and then it's kind of like it at some points it's a little bit kind of jumbly and just kind of like not all feeding into each other in a way that produces that like oomph feeling but i didn't hate it i and i i i, I am rooting for the author we have read books where yes. i'm like please don't do any more like i want her to continue to improve and and make this successful. yeah i think that there's definitely uh there's a market for this uh that is not being hit adequately yet and i think that uh there's some really positive stuff that she's doing here i just don't think it's quite up to those heights yet i feel like this could be like a uh, fable haven level i think her plotting is there and um details like there was like a plot twist that i didn't see coming and i went what oh my god why didn't i think of that it, it completely just left my mind and we'll we'll get to it but I was just like, well, that's that's really great. And um, everything she says, I think everything she says comes up later. I can't think of anything that was left dangling. And like the main storyline was resolved, but leaving it open ended for it just it felt like it hit like all the plotting that makes um, Brandon Mole's um, Fable Haven series so good. But without having, like I said, like the humor and the. You just can't teach that. You can't explain it. It's yeah. you either you either connect with it or you don't. Yeah. And um, I couldn't quite connect with this on a level to give it four stars. But like I said, Tyra Banks, I was rooting for her. Yeah. And I, there are a couple of like sort of technical aspects that I'll uh, touch on way later. That uh, but I I think especially why the early parts of it really are uh, fundamentally fairly strong storytelling for this sort of story. It's a very classic kind of setup. It's the uh, missing loved one, so you have to go to a, a fantastic realm to, to rescue them, but it's it's got some some unique uh, injections into it to, to help it not be predictable. And it helped that we weren't in just medieval Europe. Yeah. <laughs> like we usually are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So that was that was nice. And uh, no one has like, well, then you have ice powers or you have the power of fire. So I thought the magic system was original and pretty cool. There's something here. There's yeah. something here. Yeah, that for sure. It's completely worthwhile. Yeah. So should we just should we hop into it? Yeah, let's go.
all of the chapters are named, but a lot of them are referencing things that don't actually come up in my summary, so I'm going to mostly ignore the chapter titles. Um, so we'll just go. Oh, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Uh, every every uh, chapter, there's a little illustration. Did you enjoy the illustrations? I, I know did. how much illustration. I didn't? I, I said I did. I was actually oh, okay. saying uh, the full <laughs> sense was I, I did for the most part. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, there are a couple of, of really good ones in here. Uh, now that I'm flipping back through it. Well, I remember you expressing disappointment that the uh, Fable Haven ones, it's always just a picture of the house or whatever the location is that they're yeah. at. And you're just like, oh, I really wanted it to like do this or that. So when I saw that it, like the chapter illustrations differed each yeah. time, I'm like, I hope Josh is happy. Yes, <laughs> it, it's always nice to actually like it to have it actually correlate to what you're reading. So. And okay. it's also really nice when you can tell that the illustrator, like, actually read the book and paid close attention to the details of it, and wasn't just like, ah, I get it, yeah, 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 magic, ma yeah, leave it to me, I got it. They actually cared. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. Unlike, you know, illustrators who, like, whitewash the Earthsea books or whatever. Ooh, yeah, that was pretty painful. It's like, you didn't read the text, did you? <laughs> Chapter 1. We are introduced to our protagonist, Rhea, who lives in Darjeeling, India, and is turning 12 tomorrow. Uh, so is her twin brother, and it's spelled Rohan like the writers of Rohan from Lord of the Rings, but it's not pronounced that way. Ruhun, R-O-O-H-U-N, is how he pronounces it back to them. So it's more of a Ruhan than a, than a, a, a Rohan. Ruan is the star of the family, good grades, athletic, social, while Rhea is introverted and would rather solve puzzles all day. She's currently miffed that Ruan is planning a secret midnight cricket game with his friends and won't be celebrating his birthday with Rhea. Their mother, or Ama, comes home from one of her multiple jobs and immediately asks Rhea to come with her to pick tea leaves at the Tambu Tea Estate, while Ruan gets to stay home in case their injured grandmother, or Bajai, needs help. Uh, this bugs Rhea even more and she tries to figure out a way to ruin Ruan's cricket game. She briefly considers asking Leela, a free-spirited girl her age, to help her, but Leela is exhausting, and she'd rather get someone else's assistance. Rhea complains about having to work while Ruan doesn't, and starts to say that Bajai doesn't even look like she needs help, so next time she can stay home while Ruan works, but Ama quickly and dramatically stops her from finishing that sentence. How odd. Also, we learn that Rhea's father, her baba, died long ago, and she carries a picture of him in a locket that she snuck from Amma's jewelry cabinet. Chapter 2. Rhea and Amma wait in line to drop off their collected tea leaves and note that the line is moving extra slow today. Eventually, they get home, and Amma tells Rhea to go inside and lock the door, which is unusual for them to do so early in the evening. Amma has something else to do, but she'll be home soon. Bajai is apparently already on board with locking up, and Ruan has been informed he can't go anywhere tonight. Uh, this isn't going to stop him from sneaking out for the midnight cricket game, though, which means it won't stop Rhea from also sabotaging it. She convinces Bajai that Ama gave her permission to go do schoolwork with Leela. She heads to Leela's house and observes her large family of siblings, cousins, aunts, and uncles before leaving a note to meet her just before midnight. She then hops on her bike and heads in the direction Ama went to figure out what her mysterious errand is. Chapter 3 Rhea tracks Ama through the, through the local bazaar and into another village, then sees her go into the house of Mishtidadi, an old woman who can supposedly divine the future. Mishtidadi's 
houses filled with talismans to ward off evil spirits. While Rhea waits and watches the house, she plays hopscotch with some younger kids. She is caught by Tara, the school bully, and they start trading insults. Tara tells Rhea that if she were to get in trouble, nobody would help her because she has no friends and not even Ruhan cares about her. Rhea tries to punch one of Tara's cronies, but ends up hitting Tara instead, splitting her lip. A local farmer breaks up the fight, and as Rhea goes to leave, she sees Ama leave Mishti Dadi's house. Okay, so how did you feel about Rhea when you first started reading this as a character? Because I was like, my heart started sinking, and I'm like, oh no, I'm going to hate this, aren't I? This girl's kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I I don't recall exactly when it was, uh, but it did reach a low point fairly early on where I felt like she was being really unnecessarily unfair to Leela, who was just like a darling pretty much the whole time. Yeah, Leela's what we'd call a cinnamon roll. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, God, she sucks. Like, I, I was kind of having a hard time with it. But I was thinking, like, well, I don't know. I kind of don't like her family either. There's no one to root for until yeah. Leela shows up. Then it's like, oh, okay, I like her. Yeah, no, I was definitely Team Leela fairly early on. I think I make a note about one other aspect of her character before they go to Magic Land. Um, I don't remember what it is. But it's <laughs> to <up>. Magic Land. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally, I was like, ugh. Is this going to be one of those ones where, like, the protagonist gets to just kind of act however they want, and it's just like, oh, they're protagonists, so we're not going to question it, just like you were saying when we first yeah, started. But, yeah. like, they do um, address some of those things, so... They do. I really appreciate that. But I just want to say, the thought in my head was similar to... Okay, um, you remember in the movie Inside Out, like, those Pixar movies always have, like, a short, like, before the movie? Mm-hmm. And the one for Inside Out was this, like, volcanoes coming up out of the ocean while mm. a song plays. And usually these shorts are amazing, but this particular one I found insufferable and I really hated it. And <laughs> I just wished there was a fast forward. And I'm not the only one who felt that way because, like, a friend of mine took her nephew to go see it. And they're, like, a little bit a ways into the short. And the kid turns to her and goes, is this the movie? <laughs> And so these opening chapters with, like, Rhea being just so unpleasant, I was like, is this the book? (laughs) That's how I felt. Chapter 4. Rhea returns home before Ama and avoids getting caught. She and Ruan head to bed, and at 11.30, Ruan sneaks out for his cricket game. Rhea follows, meeting up with Leela on the way. They announce themselves right as the game is about to start, and after some banter, Rhea convinces Ruan to let the girls play. Leela joins Ruan's team, while Rhea is the star bowler for their other team. After a lot of whatever happens in cricket, Rhea wins the game, (laughs) (laughs) and her teammates celebrate her. She wishes Ruan a happy birthday as she resignedly heads home. I have tried to learn cricket, not like learn to play cricket, but learn the basics of it, because it's like a thing that gets referenced from time to time. Uh, I do not understand like, people run back and forth in place and are trying to knock over sticks, and matches can go for, like, eight days or something like that with scores of, like, 312. Uh, so I I think, I'm pretty sure it's made up. Like, I don't and, think like, anyone's they actually play, playing it They right. play on a pitch? Yeah, the, no, I'm, pitch, I think it's so... just legal Calvin ball. <laughs> I don't know, I try to figure out, I'm like, is it, like, 
is there like croquet elements in this? Like what, what are we, what's happening? Honey, 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 what's this? What's, what's this? What's happening? <laughs> but that's just how I feel about most sports. So I'm not unfairly singling out cricket by being like, yeah. what? I yeah. think the only sport I think can make any kind of sense at all is basketball. It's I was ball. just thinking about that because it. basketball, it's literally just like if you put it get in the, the basket, you, you get two points. If you do it and it's harder, you get three. Yeah. If you knock over a person, then that person who got knocked over gets to take a penalty shot. And I forget how much those are worth. I think it's just worth like high fives from your team. That's what I always see them yeah. do. Like, feel better, bud? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's basically the only sport I think makes any kind of sense. Someone's like at home screaming, what about bowling? That's barely a sport, sir. <laughs> <laughs> like if I can go in and do really well, I'm like, this isn't a sport. I'm sorry. And um, I think I'll go ahead and say golf is a, some people say golf isn't because like you just ride on the little carts. I think you can mess up your body pretty bad. Because there's like you have to contort your body a certain way in order to hit the ball correctly. You do have to get a lot of torque behind it to. Yeah, it's like you have to wrench. You have to wrench your lower back while lifting your arms up a certain way, and then you do this like little twirl with your foot. So if your like leg goes like woo at the end, then you did it right. I don't know. (laughs) That's how scored actually has nothing to do with actually hitting the ball. It's it's all a ruse to just check how well everybody's feet kick up. And and you win if you have like three points. It's like the lowest lowest score is like, yay, you won. I'm like, I only had twelve. And you're like, yeah. I don't know how you manage that because there's like eighteen holes, but okay. <laughs> I don't know how golf works either. I'm sorry, everybody. This also I, this also isn't a sports podcast, uh, but you can no. check out our new upcoming monthly sports podcast. Can you imagine someone listening going, Oh, now they tell me and they like close out of it. Do you know how many episodes I was listening just waiting for you to actually get to the sports? I'm just picturing them in, like, their gear with, like, the foam finger. Come on! (laughs) Just waiting for it. (laughs) Chapter 5. Rhea wakes up from a nightmare in the early morning. Uh, She wakes up at 4.20. Heyo. Blaze it. And after smoking a fat one, uh, finds the ruin apparently never came home. Outside, she finds his cricket bat and a note that says time to say goodbye in alternating upper and lowercase that is supposed to be off-putting, but just reads like the mocking Spongebob meme to me. Oh, really? I thought more like um, early MySpace. Welcome to my dangerous mind. (laughs) (laughs) There's lots of X's and O's and what they do. I don't know. Six, six, sixes. Yeah. Do you know the meme I'm referring to? Yeah, like yeah, where he's like got like the weird chicken pose. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm SpongeBob. Yeah, (laughs) kind of town. She wakes up Ama and Bajai and shows them the note. At which point they begin a frantic search for Ruan, uh, speaking vaguely about him being taken. Rhea tries to get them to explain, but they don't, and she doesn't really press things. And it's kind of obviously a way to pad out the reveal of whatever magical thing is going on, but it's fine. Uh, Rhea (laughs) reveals that they snuck out for cricket and went home separately, which is. The only time Ruan was alone. But why would anyone want to take him? Ama tells Rhea that things aren't always as they seem, and Rhea feels her throat tighten as her twin powers activate. Somewhere Ruan is in trouble. We then get uh, some sort of dream sequence where Rhea finds a gravestone plinth that says, Find me, or I die. This was actually around the time I started to like Rhea. Uh-huh. Because of like the parents being like, 
okay, they go searching all over, and like, and Rhea's just like, why don't we call the cops? They're like, no cops, he's gone forever. And she's like, you barely looked. Yeah. So I was just like, cool. I like that she's saying something. Chapter six. Uh, two days pass and Ruan doesn't show up. Uh, his disappearance is all anyone can talk about. Rhea decides to visit Mishidati and ask for help and gets Leela to come along for support. Leela is a great friend and Rhea wants nothing to do with it, uh, so I hope she feels bad about that. They decide to take a shortcut through the Sanabar Forest, which everyone usually avoids. Along the way, Leela confesses that living with a huge family isn't necessarily any less lonely than Rhea's small family, and Rhea feels like Ama blames her for Ruan's disappearance and she needs to find Ruhan for Ama to love her again. Leela offers Rhea money to pay Mishdi They pass a banyan tree, which they didn't know grew around here, and one of the roots attacks Rhea for the briefest of moments but turns back to normal before Leela sees anything. Chapter 7. The girls reach Mishdi Daddy's house, and the old woman is glad to help Rhea regardless of cost. She begins a ritual and places flower petals in Rhea's hands. The girls are shocked when Mishdi Daddy chants an incantation and the petals float. Mishidati's chanting becomes more intense, and her eyes go black. When she speaks to Rhea, her voice soothes, soothes the girl into unconsciousness. She briefly has a vision of a strange and colorful world before falling asleep. Chapter 8. Rhea awakes and finds Mishidati in a trance-like state. Rhea asks her where Ruan is, and Mishidati responds in a riddle-like fashion. Where day is night and night is day, he sits and crawls within Copesium walls. Rhea asks more questions, but only gets more crypt cryptic answers which Leela writes down. Mishidati eventually returns to her normal state and explains that she has no memory of the conversation, so she can't really be a further help. Rhea tries to get her to say what Ama was here for the other day, but Mishidati isn't telling. Rhea then realizes she's going to be late for dinner, and the girls rush home. Another dream sequence with the help me or I die message follows, this time featuring owls. Okay, this happens so often in, like, the books we read. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, we're not just going to tell you anything, but you're going to figure everything out through riddles. And if that ever happened, then my family member is just going to die because, like, I can't do riddles. They make me angry. I think they're stupid. I hate riddles. <laughs> I actually have so... a comment about that in the next chapter. But, yeah. Um... <laughs> yes, if anything happens to you, better make sure they don't send me riddles because, no, I'm not finding you. <laughs> you, you open it up and you see that the first two lines rhyme and you're like, I'm not even going to try. I just like, have her, bye. <laughs> He's your problem now. <laughs> and meanwhile, they're like, where is she? And then like whoever they kidnapped is like, well, did, what, what message did you send? We sent her a riddle that she figured, well, there's your first problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's too close to poetry, which neither of us enjoy. So right. it's like poetry, riddles, and what else do we hate? Logic problems? <laughs> yeah, well, the ones that are, like, not actually logic-based, it's like, well, first what you have to do is not think of anything intelligent. You have to, uh, you have to think of, like, how the person saying it is trying to trick you, even though you don't know you're being tricked. That's not a puzzle. That's just lying. And then That's just you being mean. <laughs> okay, you mean liar. <laughs> You can call yourself the Riddler, but you're just a bean liar. <laughs> she sent the riddle ransom letter back. She just wrote nope across it. <laughs> Chapter 9. Ama tells Rhea to accept the fact that Ruan is gone forever. What a loving mom, giving up after four days. <laughs> we, f 
we finally get to see Rhea try and solve a puzzle like we've been told that she's really good at, and she's not very good at all. Her attempts at deciphering the riddles get her almost nowhere, but Leela shows up and begins organizing Rhea's ideas and assumptions into something more manageable. Rhea scoffs at Leela's actually useful strategy, because of course she does. Leela also says she learned of an old English word, uh, sweven, or sweven, which means a vision-like dream. Rhea connects that to her nightmares and comes to the conclusion that the next time she dreams, she needs to follow one of the owls. That night she does and finally makes some progress. Yeah, because at the start we're told that, like, she would rather stay inside and do puzzles all day. And it's like, okay, so at some point there's going to be some puzzle solving. And then, like, pretty much the only time we get, like, puzzles to solve, she's like, ah, and then Lee has to actually figure it out. Maybe it's because, like, the puzzles she's into are Sudokus. Right. So she's like, no, wrong Not that kind of puzzle. Damn it. We should have given me like a little Sudoku jumble, and I could have figured it out. But um, you'll never it, solve this word search. Leela actually reminded me of you because she comes along and she's like, basically draws out a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. And I was just yeah. like, oh, Josh and his spreadsheets. So that's uh, Leela, and then me, completely disorganized, just writing shit all over a paper. It's like maybe I'll hit on something if I just write everything down. Right, like Leela's over there, like putting things into nice cells, and then she just looks over at Rhea. And it's like, do you need some more red string? <laughs> He's like, you know, I found out who's at the center center of my brother's disappearance. It's Pepe Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have we used that reference, having neither of us actually watched? Always sunny. <laughs> Way too many times, but uh, who cares? What? Uh, who's going to get us? The police? Woo! Don't uh -oh. stand. Don't stand so. <laughs> yeah, Sting comes to the house. Figure out riddles, you dumb bitch. And he walks away. <laughs> I'm like, what? That was unnecessarily hateful. I'm going to give one of your albums a poor review on Amazon. That'll show you. <laughs> I may not be good at riddles, sir, but I'm good at giving bad reviews. I am real good at petty. Oh, yeah. I practically majored in it. Chapter 10. Rhea wakes up in the night and sneaks to Leela's. She reveals that the place she went to in the dream was the banyan tree, so the two of them set off. After getting lost in the woods for a bit, they find the tree, whose limbs move again, and envelops them both. Eventually, they are released, but they aren't in India anymore. They're in a strange place where everyone wears clothes made of leaves, and people are selling various trinkets and even enchantments. They find a boy selling jewelry who references Capesium, which you might recognize from the riddle, and Leela picks up on it even though Rhea doesn't. Well, to be fair, she he discombobulated her because he's like, hey, pretty lady, or something like that, yeah. and then references the thing, so she's all flustered at that. I was like, I wasn't expecting to be catcalled the instant we showed up here. What the <laughs> F? <laughs> well, meanwhile, I didn't know I was in Leela America. <laughs> no kidding. Jeez. Actually, I don't know what the situation is like in India. I'm sure the men can't call everywhere. But, um, yeah, so that's why Leela's like, oh, no one likes me. I have a sidekick written all over my face, so I'm able to catch on to stuff. <laughs> Anyways, the boy nervously reveals that Capesium is a rare metal that the queen uses when she wields her shadow magic. But the girls should know all about that, right? Since they're princesses? What? I mean, after all, only princesses can travel through the... Oh, crap. I think that my book auto-corrected that one. Oh, no. That's gonna, me, uh, so it's gonna be really wrong. Let I'm, me, uh, well, I, yeah. Uh, it's the, um, Do Doda Aldamara. Okay, cool. Yeah, it okay. replaced it with soda. 
is the soda Aldemara, which sounds like a really <laughs> fancy carbonated beverage. Made by me. Yeah. <laughs> I would like a soda Aldemara, please. So the Dota Aldemara, which is the portal in the banyan. After some back and forth, we learn that the girls are now in the kingdom of Astranthia in the realm of Delphinius. The girls decide to play into their role as princesses and ask the boy named Zeranther to show them around. Chapter 11. Bankruptcy. Thank there you. we go. I missed one and you <laughs> felt very thrown off by it. So. There you go. After looking at her watch and realizing that this is the place where day is night and night is day, Rhea tells Zeranther that she's looking for Ruhan, re- referring to him as a palace servant. Zeranther takes Rhea's hand, which triggers a classic awkward budding romance scene, and the three kids start asking around for Ruhan. They visit many homes, which are called buds, and they look like big onions. Zeranther also introduces them to some of the unique parts of Astranthia, such as living tufts of grass called clumps. Eventually, Zeranther decides to take the girls to the Whispering Walls, a bud that houses many people's secrets, but speaks them all at once, in the hopes they learn something there. Uh, on the way, they meet a small fairy, or uh, pari, uh, in the parlance of this world, called Flula. Eventually, Rhea and Leela reveal that they're from Earth, and it turns out that this isn't the first time their worlds have crossed. Apparently, Earthlings have come through here centuries ago. Saranther initially feels betrayed because they lied to him, but after the girls start tearing up, he agrees to help them. And Flula? I mean, she just finds the whole thing real exciting. Yeah. Like, that's kind of her... her she she does, like, one or two little things to help them along, but mostly she's just like, I'm just here because it's fun, guys. Yeah, I'm just like, this is this is the character we should all aspire to be. <laughs> yeah. I'm just here to see you guys fuck around and find out what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, if it, go, if it goes your way, great. If it doesn't, I'm, I'm still a fairy. Like, yeah. I got a maid. wings. I could just fly away. <laughs> um. It wasn't until this chapter that I, when I was taking notes and stuff, that I realized that this book has uh, the odd-numbered pages on the left side instead of the right. Oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice that, but that's okay. A lot of stuff escapes my notice. <laughs> like it doesn't matter at all. It's just like it's just a formatting thing that books don't do, and they they done did it. But they done had to do it to them. I liked that. The charade of like, oh, yes, with the princesses stopped very quickly because I always hate that kind of thing. Like, okay, we're going to have this conflict that can be easily resolved with a small conversation, you know, because he acted so betrayed. It's like, we've known you for like three hours, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Like, take it down a notch. Yeah, for sure. Because it's like, (laughs) like with those conversations, like the longer you wait, the worse it's going to be. So it is nice to just like, let's just do it that afternoon. And Leela read the room and was like, we need to fess up now. (laughs) This can't continue. Chapter 12. The group reaches the Whispering Walls. Rhea asks about Ruan, but can't decipher the jumbled answer and starts crying. Uh, when she begins to cry, a tear touches the walls and the voices clear up and she can hear part of the answer. She touches the walls with more tears and eventually ends up with, Ruan lies locked in the cellars of doom for the night of Nilaya. Zoranther explains that the night of Nilaya is a ceremony for the land's life-giving flower, the Psalm, and is only four days away. The cellars of doom, meanwhile, are magic jail cells where people go until they're executed. He knows this because his father was killed for giving food to a homeless woman who turned out to be 
a plant to sniff out generosity in the cruel queen's realm. Rhea asks Zarantha and Flula to help them get to the cellars, which are below the castle, which is in the middle of a venomous lake. Uh, And she invokes Zarantha's dad to convince him. It's decided that their rescue mission will begin tomorrow. Then the girls head back home through the banyan tree. Uh, And honestly, this part kind of surprised me. I was expecting them to be trapped here until the quest was over, but they just go home for the night. And then they come back the (laughs) next day. And I was like, what? You could... Since when? (laughs) (laughs) Just picturing how, like, the Narnia books would have just been so different. Like, all right, well, this is fun. We're going to go right back through the cupboard. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. We need to have Tiffin. Goodbye. <laughs> they leave. And <laughs> Mr. Tumnus is like, hold on a damn minute. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> oh, that's what I wanted to say. Okay, uh, Zaranther's father. Because we've all seen this play out in fairy tales where you see the aged old woman. And it's like, oh, if you don't give her a glass of water, you're going to die later. And then it's like a reverse of that. Like, you help the old woman and you shouldn't have. You're like, damn it. But I've read every fairy tale. It's what you're supposed to do. It was the fairy in disguise. It's like a. Com- I bet. I bet the freaking beast and Beauty and the Beast wishes that's the one that showed up. It's like, oh, good, you didn't help me. Good job, sir. Keep being selfish. <laughs> like, um, move along. And then Beauty and the Beast just never would have happened. <laughs> Except he probably would have been guillotined. Because it isn't like the fan theory, just like this happens, the, the the movie takes place either current revolution or post-revolution. So that's why the castle's empty and no one thinks it's weird. Uh, ball's in your court for this one. All right, I'm going to say, I'm going to take a three-pointer. Uh, swish. <laughs> Nothing but net. Wait, or what am I supposed to do? LeBron James, and like you throw it. My only reference for this is a is a, a McElroy brothers bit. Did you watch Sarah Zed's video about the McElroys? I did, and I thought that it was it was a pretty even handed explanation. I made it an hour in, and I'm like, I have to turn this off. I can't. I don't know a whole lot about the McElroys. That that might be part of it. Like I so, I don't I don't listen to Mavim Bam religiously, but I I am pretty much caught up on okay, the Adventure Zone. I was which... I was hung up on Mavim Bam. I'm like, can we fucking stop saying that? She's like, because my brother, my brother, and me is a very awkward title, so I'm gonna say Mavim Bam. I'm like, I hate that worse. That, that's what everybody calls it. It's not her thing. I I, I know, but I hate that worse. That's fine. Just say the Brothers Podcast. Like I'd say that. I, I was just all like, I don't know how much, how long is this? It's two hours. I'm sorry, Sarah. I'm tapping out. Like, I, I can't, because then I'm bored. Then all, all I can focus on is like her schoolgirl delivery of how she presents videos, which like, it's fine when I care about the topic, but when I don't, it becomes very grating. And I think put down the fucking drink. Like, I just I can't handle it. So I'm like, I'm becoming mean. <laughs> like her shortcomings as a presenter are just, highlighted when i don't care about the topic so it's just like i'm i'm, I'm gonna go it's this, like getting it's, it's like getting me. hangry where like you could normally like <laughs> let those things slide but you're like except except i'm zangry yeah oh <laughs> uh, no uh, i yeah okay i've been watching Bye. a lot more um what's her name izzy's oh i watched her thing about um what was it I saw the littlest pet shop thing. I think you did. You link that to me. I might have linked it to you. Yeah. Okay. There was something recent that I watched unprompted by you, and now I can't remember what it was. 
but um I don't mind her delivery. I think it's the is she from New Zealand or Australia? I can't tell the difference. Apparently there's a big glaring difference, but I, I can't I can't spot it ever. She had different colored glitter sparkles on one eye and the other when in the most recent one I watched. She goes she goes ham with the, the, the makeup in every single that's fine. It's just, it's more interesting to look at than yeah. someone awkwardly holding a drink. Um, <laughs> sorry, Sarah said, I just keep coming for her and she's done nothing. Except, oh, I think also I shut it off because I was sick of how much, how often she was couching in terms of like, this is just a generalization. I actually like this. Please don't get mad at me because I think she caught a lot of hell for the Homestuck video. I don't have the energy to get upset about that stuff like other people on the internet do. I'm just like, right. she's putting in a lot more work than I'm putting into anything, so like... I know, good good for her, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think a lot of what she says I th- that's, like, insightful or cool, I think comes from the co-writer. Uh, yeah, her co-writer's pretty awesome. Her co-writer, uh, have you watched her co-writer's, like, individual videos? She only has like two. two I watched or three so the far. one you linked to me about Channel Awesome. Yeah. And uh, the guy with the hat, whatever his stupid moniker, glasses. The guy yeah. With the, glasses. <laughs> the guy, the guy with the accessory. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of stuff on your head. Um, he does actually. He's got a hat and glasses. Yeah. Doesn't he always have like a necklace or lanyard around his neck or something? Yeah. He's really just got no Not talent. Funny. Yeah, he sucks. I, I watched another video by a different guy talking about uh, his, like, almost feature-length parody, quote-unquote, of uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Mm. It's so weird. Also, I found a new I found a new uh, video essayist that I should link you to. Uh, he's very cool, and uh, he does he did one on uh, talking about the liar's dice scene in Pirates of the Caribbean, and he did one about the chess scene in uh sherlock holmes movie he does some other ones but those were the two most recent ones that i watched um and he he's he's very very nerdy but very uh very well educated on the stuff that he talks about and he he even like brings in an expert for the chess because he's like i'm gonna be honest i'm not very good at chess let me get somebody else to help talk us through some of this (laughs) (laughs) okay Um, i'm in i like video essays and i keep uh i almost said netflix jesus um YouTube keeps recommending me like people who suck. Yeah, I'm just like, like I said, like your cold take, your hot take is not a hot take; it's cold poop, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> or I find their voice just so grating and irritating. I'm like, I cannot sit through 45 minutes of this guy. Yeah. Or they say r- something right up at the top that I hate, like because there's like supposed to there was like this four hour. Someone linked this to me. And it was like, oh yeah, you expressed interest in animorphs. Here's like this guy like breaking down the series for his friends, and uh, here it is. And like he immediately said that the covers were retarded, and I'm like, I'm out. I don't like that you described it that way. Yeah. Not because I'm like, hey, this just it was the use of that word, and I was right. Like, it's, it's, you can it's you can critique the the art, but like that's it's 2021. Why are we still using that word as a descriptor for something we don't like? Yeah. Like um, grow up. This isn't fourth grade anymore. I have, uh, and it's unfortunate because a lot of people that talk about video games uh, fall into this category, but I really don't want to listen to any more guys with thick British accents explain video games to me. 
I want other people to explain video games to me, but I keep being like, ah, it's that same, like, bad microphone, thick British accent sort of person. Oh, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. You can go ahead and say I hate everything. His name's I hate everything, and he, like, reviews movies, and he has a series called Search for the Worst, and I used to watch his videos, but then I was just like, I kind of can't take this anymore, and just stopped. (laughs) It's he's not as bad to me as uh who's that other guy? Your movie sucks, that guy. I hate that guy so much. I try not to watch any of the ones that based on what little information I have, meaning the title, um sound like that they are just there to like crap on things. I'm kind of past that phase in my life for the most part. Like sometimes I do like deep dives where it's like, listen, we really need to talk about how problematic this is, but like when your whole shtick is like we have to hate things all the time, it's like that's gonna get old. Well, they're usually they were it was it came across more as like Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Um, in the case of um, I hate everything, gotcha. but then for the your movie sucks guy, he would like take apart like this is what went wrong and da 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 da. But why I had to stop like a he had a really nasal sounding voice. So then if the, I'm already kind of annoyed by something up at the jump, and then I don't like what you say about whatever movie, yeah. then those two things combined are like, I can't watch this anymore. And then sometimes to illustrate a point for like a thing that he didn't like, he'd just make himself vomit on command, and I can't handle that. I, could, I, I don't do vomit. I don't do spitting. It's like, I'm out. Goodbye. So I just stopped watching his shit, because I was like, I can't take it. I don't know if he's going to suddenly start vomiting. And then he, like, plays his own music, and then he's singing in that horrible nasal voice. And I'm like, I, I can't. Voices are a big deal for me. If your voice is annoying, I can't get through the video. It's astonishing that you've been doing the podcast with me for this long, then. Your voice isn't nasal. Um, <laughs> you don't have, like, a strange accent that you don't explain immediately. So I'm not sitting there like, where is this guy from? Is it Belgium? Is it, <laughs> please, in your description, tell me what country you're from so I'm not sitting there the whole time trying to pinpoint where you're from. Because sometimes I, it just throws me if I can't yeah. pinpoint where it is they're from. Yeah. Because then once you know, like, some, then, like, the vowel sounds start, like, clicking into place better because, like, oh, this is an Australian right. accent. Right, you're not, click, you're not click, searching click. for what did they just say. You can, you yeah. can use the context clues to fill in your... Precisely. Yeah. Yes. So... This isn't me like, she's xenophobic. I'm like, no, not at all. Not Only really. for Belgians. <laughs> Only, yeah. <laughs> I have nothing against Bel. I actually follow a woman who uh, lives in Belgium. I think she is from more Eastern Europe, but she um, repaints dolls, gives them new faces uh-huh. and like brutes hair and stuff. And she's like, hi guys, welcome to my video. And I like love her a lot. Okay. We should probably talk about the book. This is not... <laughs> Our totally separate monthly video essays podcast, which is called Why Are You Listening to This? This is not a visual medium. (laughs) (laughs) Can we actually start a side podcast called This Is Not a Visual Medium where we talk about video essays? Yeah, I think we should. Chapter 13. We now follow Queen Razia in her chambers. We learn that she is power-hungry, paranoid, and obsessed with her image. We also learn that she has people searching for the missing petal of Psalm. Uh, the Psalm has sacrificed petals before as a way to save the land from destruction, uh, but never has a petal gone missing. The missing petal appears to be tied to her shadow magic, which is different from the nectar, the magic power that runs through the land naturally. Uh, the queen summons the visage... the 
I wasn't prepared for that word that I had written. Queen summons the visage of Oleandra, someone who knows where the petal is but refuses to to tell. There appears to be some sort of uh, curse uh, going on here, but it isn't all clear yet. She doesn't tell the queen where the petal is, but does inform her uh, that Rhea has appeared in Estranthia. Uh, so how do, how do we feel this chapter? Like, oh, wait, are you done with the... That that was the end of that chapter. Yeah, okay, cool. I wasn't I wasn't really a fan of only cutting away from Rhea's Thank point you. of view for like two different chapters, like t- yeah. ten chapters apart. I found it jarring. Uh, I found it jarring, and I thought that there was probably a better way to provide some of that information. It reminded me of like the later Harry Potter books, where it would open somewhere that's not Privet Drive, Privet Drive, and I'd be like, oh, "Wait, yeah," what we, I'd be like, "Wait, what are we doing?" No, <laughs> like. Chapter 14, uh, Rhea returns to Mishidati alone and asks more questions about ra- why Ruan was taken and how to rescue him. This time, she records the answers on a cell phone. They're again cryptic and rhyming, but it seems that Ruan's blood is needed for the ritual of the psalm flower. Rhea receives a little advice on how to get to the castle, uh, then the session kind of fizzles out. Chapter 15. The girls return to Estranthia, where Zoranther tells them he's found a boat. However, it won't be ready until the next day. Also, it was a stolen boat that the owner was looking to destroy, so the fact that crossing the lake to the castle will probably ruin it is actually a good deal for them. In the meantime, Zoranther takes the girls to his bud to meet his grandpa, Poppy, who is the only person who has tried to cross the lake, failed, and still survived. They also meet Zoranther's kind mom, or Mar, uh, and their bozen, which is basically a house elf. Poppy is about to tell his story, then gets up to go to the bathroom, and we see that he's covered in scars and has a peg leg. Then he sits back down to resume his story, uh, and I kind of felt like we could have trimmed this all into one chapter with this and the next one, because he's like, let me tell you a story, and then it just, like, sidetracks for a while, and then he's like, wait, I have to go to the bathroom. And then he sits back down and is like, where was I? Well, you hadn't started the story yet. How much How much better would it have been if he'd been in the can just shouting out the story to them <laughs> as he goes? <laughs> While then, Leela's like, your grandpa pees a jet stream. And then stream. it's just like, it's just like, what, and what, what do we need? Like, what, what should we bring with us? And then he's like, toilet paper! And they're like, what? And he's like, I'm out of toilet paper! Someone so, just, probably wouldn't hurt to bring some to the lake, you never know. When you gotta go, just, you gotta go! Just start unrolling it, push it under the door! So, chapter 16, Poppy explains that the lake around the castle is full of stakes with different types of poisons, and that the only way across safely uh, is to have magic of one's own to combat them. Rhea suggests a cephaldwer, which is an elusive creature that uh, she's heard spoken of a couple times uh, while she's been here, and it was even mentioned in one of Mishti Dadi's trances. Poppy says that could work, but finding a cephaldwer is a challenge in its own right. The conversation moves on, and Rhea finally admits to Leela that she's a good friend for staying by her side through this crazy adventure. Finally. <laughs> Zoranther gives the girls a brief rundown on the differences between the uh, the kinds of magic. Nectar is the natural magic of the land, while the queen's shadow magic works by consuming the nectar. Uh, but it also kind of, she can control it more directly than uh, the nectar there's also underground magic, which is uh, pretty much only useful for making trinkets and gimmicks. Uh, and I guess that's kind of it. There's there's like a third magic that really doesn't have anything to do with anything. At one point, he's like, look at this stick. And then he makes the stick grow limbs and walk away or something. And it's like, that's it. That's all it does. Huh? Huh? 
the the kef kefal dwar when we yeah. talk about did you look that up i did not i did not either and i'm just like wait what is this and i'm like that looks really welsh is this from india like i was really thrown quite a bit by uh, that. it is most certainly welsh okay thank you because i was looking it at is, that, like it is actually is... it's traditionally spelt c e f f y l space d w with an arrow above it r and it's pronounced mora or something <laughs> for real it's never the letters that are there it's like anything but <laughs> i i think i just made the welsh listeners angry i'm sorry well you have shoot. a you have a very confounding language and i think you know that I think it's hard when there are the, the languages that at first glance look like they should be pretty similar to English, and then it's like, ah, crap, they aren't. You tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's very cool, at least, I mean, when you see a bunch of C's and W's and D's all together with F's, you you know it's Welsh. Yeah. So it's cool that you have an immediate identifier, like, I know what that is. <laughs> C W Y Y Y Y Y Y Y Y, and her name's Mary. <laughs> Chapter seventeen. That night, Zarantha leads the girls through a secret magic bazaar to the lake. They meet up with Flula on the way, and Leela almost gets accidentally lured away by a small glowing creature called called Paragolies. That's all we need to know about the bazaar. I thought the bazaar was kind of cool. It was cool. It was cool. It just, like, once I was done and I was writing down, I was like, I just kind of have to get the salient points. I was like, it can do some world-building stuff, it's not doing anything for the plot, really. Nah, not really, yeah. It it might come around later, I don't know, in a later book. I just just like that you get into, like, a tear in the universe or whatever. It's like, okay, where's the slit? Here it is. And you, like, cut through the air and open it. he said. No, that'd be if he went through the gash. I don't like it. You don't like it? I don't either. You're the one who opened the door for that, you creep. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 18. The group reaches the rowboat. Xeranther stays behind, but Flula offers to join Rhea and Leela as far as the edge of Parry territory. They set off, making sure not to stop moving lest the, th- lest the serpents attack. Of course, the serpents do attack damaging the boat and its oars and making straight for the girls. Leela tries to bat them away, but ends up slicing Rhea's arm with a broken paddle. Rhea calls for Flula to bring a bunch of the Paragolies, uh, and they use their glow to distract the serpents for a few minutes. A drop of Rhea's blood falls on a serpent and kills it, meaning she has some kind of magic in her, though whether it's the Queen's Shadow Magic or the Nectar, she's not sure. I'm gonna take a wild guess based on the title of the book. That or she's the alien from Aliens. <laughs> Flula reaches the edge of her boundary, uh, the Perigoli's effect wears off, and although Rhea calls for a Cephaldor, no help comes. The serpents turn their attention back to the girls who are out of fairies, out of oars, and out of time. Chapter 19. Then a giant que- creature swoops in and drags the girls to the castle shore. It's a Cephaldor! That was super easy for them being told how hard it was to summon one. Uh, it's sort of a cross between a bird, an antelope, and a horse, and this one's name is Thubian. It heals Rhea's cut and telepathically explains that it is bound to her. It waits camouflage while the girls knock on the castle door and request an audience with a, with the queen uh, from the dwarf who answers. He takes them in and they meet Razia. Uh, Rhea demands Ruhan be released, and Razia doesn't take kindly to her bluntness. She uses her magic to attack Leela, who is already kind of queasy from the boat ride. 
and Rhea backtracks. She tells the queen that she knows Ruan is imprisoned in the cellars, at which point the queen corrects her. She claims Ruan wasn't kidnapped, but brought to Estranthia to fulfill his sacred duty. She then offers Rhea a chance to visit Ruan, which she accepts. Yeah, I, I did I did feel like the... No one's ever sees a Cephaldwar. You're going to have a hard time summoning a Cephaldwar. Can I please have a Cephaldwar? Here you go. Was a little bit... Was a little well, easy. It, it did say um, you had to show selfless selflessness or whatever. So in the moment when she's like, okay, we're in this water, I got to at least get my friend ashore. So... That, yeah. That's that's how it worked for me. It wasn't just all like, boy, I wish there was a Thubi in here, and then he shows up like, bitch, here I am. Yeah, but then, like, yeah, isn't the selflessness? Isn't that also the same way that she unlocks her magic powers? Like, I get, yeah. I, I get that it's that's the thing, and I get it. It just, I, it felt a little, it did feel a little bit like just kind of being handed stuff because you're a nice person. Which I don't know. Maybe the world needs more of that, but it doesn't have a whole lot of dramatic tension for me. Oh, I felt like it did, because uh, it kind of reminded me, uh, you you probably didn't grow up watching this 800 times a day, but, like, the never-ending story. I've seen it once, uh, and I don't remember anything. Okay, well, our main protagonist is Atreyu, and he is traveling through the swamps of sadness, and, his, and, and you have to try and, like, buck yourself up while you're through there, because if you let the sadness consume you, you'll get sucked down into the mud. And his horse just can't take it and just suck, gets sucked down into the mud. And that is, I used to act along with it, screaming like, fight against the sadness, Artax! Like, uh, well, sitting on the couch. <laughs> I never had a horse in my life, but I really cared about that horse. And then that just is the most demoralizing thing that happens to him. And then he's like tromping through the mud and the mud just seems to be get, getting progressively like, like it started like around his like ankles at the beginning, but as he's more and more depressed and fumbling along, like the things, the, the mud gets deeper and deeper until he's practically swimming in it with his face tilted up. And then that's when the luck dragon comes through the sky and scoops him up. So he had to kind of be at the height of his despair in order to get a luck dragon. So I was just like, oh, it's like the luck dragon all over again. It's Falcor. So what you're saying is this is a partner text to the never ending story. Right, and then and then um, Dustin and Susie show up to sing the song inappropriately while they're trying to get across the. I hated that part of the Stranger Things. Like like that that season had me the whole time. I'm like, this is great. Then that happened, and I was just like, this went on way too long. Yeah, I, I think that was the problem. Not so much that happened, but that they had to do the whole the whole thing. Yeah, and it just <laughs> it it made me think of that that Kardashian meme. Like Kim, people are dying. <laughs> Chapter 20. The queen gives Rhea a vision of Ruan in his cell and then begins the exposition dump. The queen is Rhea and Ruan's aunt, sister to their ama and daughter of uh, Bajai, the former queen. She has abducted Ruan in order to complete the ceremony of the Night of Nilaya, which ensures that the Sunflower will continue providing nectar magic for the land. However, she needs Rhea to find the missing petal using her own nectar magic before the event. Yay, a fetch quest! Uh, Rhea agrees, and then the queen leaves. Leela asks to use the bathroom, and while Rhea waits, uh, she finds a secret passage that lets her spy on the queen, speaking to Oleandra. Rhea then goes to check in on Leela and finds her unconscious. I, she has a serpent bite on her leg that is uh, severely swollen. She calls on two of the queen's servant dwarves to help her, and Leela recovers. They then go outside and call for Thubian. He tells Rhea 
she must unlock her magic by finding her true self, and they fly off. Did the dwarves saying bees in every single sentence bug the heck out of you? I was like, what's happening? I don't understand. Did they, did they grow up in a honey They were farm? trying to make bees a thing. Stop trying to make bees happen. I, I, well, I was kind of weirded out by how, like, I thought it was, like, more of the language that, like, the, like, Zoranther's grandfather and mother talked. I was like, why does everyone sound like a pirate? Is there, like, is, was India, like, a place for piracy? What's happening? Why is there a Welsh monster here? Make it make sense. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the bees thing, I was just like, boy, I wish this would stop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, especially when I realized there were a couple times that she was definitely, like, reconstructing the sentence in order to fit another usage of it. And I'm like, <laughs> hon. You're like, stop it, stop it. Uh, I wish one of the girls had been like, why are you doing this? <laughs> uh, chapter 21 uh, starts with an illustration of Thubian, and um, I don't know. I was thinking it'd be something a little bit more, like, a little more out there, but it's just... It's just a Pegasus with two kind of gnarly horns. I need to take a look because I don't. Oh, Age. there it is. Yeah. Like it's not. It's not like. It's not like. Oh, that's ugly or anything. Like it's a fine illustration. I just was in my head. I was picturing something more like otherworldly. I never know what to picture, so I was just like, uh, I don't know. I wasn't pick. I don't. I don't know what I was picturing. It was more like just a question mark. They're writing a question mark out of the place. No, I know what I, I actually. I'll tell you what I was picturing. I was picturing um, Buckbeak. Yeah, from Harry Potter. That's what I was picturing. <laughs> yeah, like they scri- It was like it was a cross between a horse, a bird, and an antelope. And yeah, it's like, and I was like, okay, so like a griffin type thing. Okay. Yeah, but like we all know what a winged horse is. Like you, saying that's a cross between a bird and a horse implies more than just sticking the wings on to me because everybody already has like yeah. That's I was picturing feathered. I was just picturing like a feathered creature. Yeah. So when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, yeah, we have we have very different ideas." I was thinking <laughs> like maybe of... like a big like bird like tail as well, but it's just it's just a horse with wings and two horns instead of the possible one. Because I guess that's the antelope part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, chapter twenty one. Rhea and Leela return to Sarantha and Flula. And Rhea tries to get them to hurry up and help her find the petal, but Saranther wants to hear about their field trip to the castle. Rhea reveals that she's a princess for realsy, and Saranther says that she's super selfish for demanding that they keep helping her and leaves. Rhea's all like, fine, be that way. She tries to get her magic to work by bleeding on a flower. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. She's, she's able to basically clone the flower, which is pretty impressive for the first thing that you're able to do with magic, like... But she's just like, eh, it's not enough. But it's like, that's that's pretty impressive to me. Uh, eventually, Leela talks some sense into Rhea, and they go find Xeranther and apologize. They find him in the middle of a protest where Ruan Caged is being escorted through town. The guards break up the protest violently, killing several civilians and cutting Xeranther's leg before leaving with Ruan, before Rhea can do anything. How do we feel about how Rhea's like, selfishness finally comes to a head and there's an argument how do, how do we feel how that came about i feel like i felt about a couple other things in this where i felt like it needed to happen but it was kind of a contrived quick sort of way to deal with it like thank you yeah it all happened over the course of one chapter um, i was also like this is was the this was yeah the, the bridge too far yeah 
her like going it's like, like it's like <laughs> she knew that like the author knew that she needed to address that but i don't think she picked the right stakes for addressing it it's just like i could see where she was coming from and it's like they don't really have time because he's asking all these questions and yeah. she's like okay my brother's gonna die yeah. can we maybe prioritize that and he's just like you're really selfish and rude and like yeah here's me being selfish wanting to save my brother that's so selfish yeah. why what what even though at the same time i was like you know we can walk and talk <laughs> you can i was like okay i will answer three questions right now and then i need to tell you what the next thing is and then we can continue the discussion <laughs> but that that takes being a grown-up and they're a yeah. bunch of like hot-headed kids so i get it but yeah. i was just like this is yeah. some jacked up conflict that i'm not completely behind yeah and it's like zaranther didn't even have to like brave the lake of snakes he just waited for them to get back and then he's like then he's like you keep asking us to do stuff and it's like we just did all of that you just had what to do you mean we keep asking you to do <laughs> What's stuff? All this we stuff you you did nothing you you got us a boat which i mean you got us good. a boat that they were they were trying to get rid of because it was stolen we could have done that so yeah i i thought that this scene was not handled super well overall um and this is this is uh where i start feeling like i feel like from this part of the book to the end there are some off and on pacing issues both in terms of like what happens over the course of a chapter and like how things get resolved and stuff um and i'll go into those where i feel like it's actually relevant but i do feel like um one of the things that would need I would say to would need the most improvement going forward is how some of that is handled in the back half. Um, yeah, it's so. a little bit. Uh, I think I've used this description before, but a little nano y It's like, okay, today what I need to accomplish is her getting called out for this. Yeah. And next, we're gonna try and get them their boat. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So chapter twenty-two. The queen holds court with advisors and ministers who inform her of several things, the most important being that Ruan's blood sacrifice will be ineffective if he is unwilling or if his blood is not activated with the nectar prior to the sacrifice. Uh, then there's also some other stuff that I don't feel like covering because it's all very bureaucratic. Chapter 23. Re- huh? No, I was just laughing. Okay. Because I agree. <laughs> Uh, chapter 23, Rhea finds Zoranther and uses her magic to heal him, and then all the other injured protesters, uh, but not the dead ones. She cannot revive the dead. Thuvian's voice in her head tells her she's unlocked her nectar thanks to her selflessness and to let it guide her rather than trying to force it. After healing everyone, she falls unconscious and wakes up in Zoranther's house. Everyone apologizes to each other, and now they have even less time to find the petal. This is kind of what I was just saying of, like, it's like, she's told that she needs to un- like she needs to unlock her potential and then like the first thing that happens once she leaves the castle is a very convenient situation to unlock her potential and it's just like you you have full use of your magic now um and we didn't need to have like a she has to go find like a mentor in the woods and do a whole like training thing like <sighs> she doesn't need to carry anyone on her back or whatever um but it did feel a bit like we didn't even need to worry about if she was going to unlock her potential or not it just was there Around this time is what started to bother me is uh, this particular formatting that she was doing mm-hmm. where it's like a character would say a thing and then new paragraph, the same character is talking. And it's like, don't do that. That feels like someone new is speaking. You can keep continuing on. 
yeah. if you need to specify like, oh, they turned to Xeranther, this next bit was directed at Xeranther, then you just include that in the paragraph. The yeah. person can still – they still have the floor. You only make a new paragraph if someone new is speaking. So that right. just messed or with my head Or if someone's having time. like a crazy monologue that – But even then, you wouldn't put the closed – Right, uh, right. You don't, you don't close it at the end of the paragraph. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have the quote. You don't close the quote. You just keep go- going with the quote in the whatever. But just that formatting drove me nuts. So during the scene, I'm like, wait, where are they? What's happening? I don't get it. And I had to like go back over it because yeah. of so many people speaking. And there were a few times where she didn't even put the indicator of who was speaking. And, and then at one point, I think I'm like, wait, they're outside. When did they go outside? And it just got buried in something else. Yeah. I think that was at the Whispering Walls one, where I'm like, I thought they were still in the house. What right. do you mean they're outside? When did that happen? Maybe devote a paragraph to them going outside. That's when you can do that. <laughs> Rather than the same character speaking, let's give it a new paragraph. It just, I yeah. don't know. It, it was not enough to make me stop reading, but right. it was peeving me out. Right. Um, I guess while we're on the topic of things that didn't make me stop reading, but I wish didn't happen so much, uh, I could have used a bit less all capitals shouting. Yes. That's, it's very JK Rowling. Not my daughter, you bitch. Okay, that one, I feel like you can go ahead and capitalize that one. That's yeah, fine. Like, but, like, you can keep that one. <laughs> but like, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Oh, wait a second. Oh, I'm so sick of that debate. I don't even think he really yelled it in the movie. It felt, it felt more like he was just saying it urgently. Also, like, it doesn't have to be like a, a line for line remake of the book it's like what 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 makes sense for the film's version of you know the situation it doesn't have to be because i feel like playing it with some urgency kind of means that dumbledore kind of sensed that someone's gonna try and kill harry by putting him in this competition and he's kind of trying to click the things together it's like i have a theory i need to first find out if this kid put his name in or not you know, because M- Dumbledore, like everybody else is playing cricket. He's playing chess. You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Michael Gambon Dumbledore was inherently like a bit more. Um, I don't know what the right word for the first word that came to mind was active. I'm not sure if that's what I'm looking for, but he's not the <laughs> just sit in the office and talk to you at the end of each book sort of Dumbledore. Um, yeah, the phrase I was looking at was a bit much. <laughs> So, like, it it fit more for the version of Dumbledore that he was playing, whether you like that or not, is a completely separate conversation. But I think my favorite moment with him was that part, I think it was in the third movie, where they're like, Professor, we did it. He goes, did what? Bye. And, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I think of that and, like, giggle. And also in the sixth movie, when he's like, all right, well, bye, Slughorn. I'll just take cool old Harry Potter here and leave, and then they're walking out, and you can hear him thinking, three, two, one, yeah. before Slughorn bursts out of the house. Yeah. Chapter 24. Alright, this is a little bit sassy, but I have oh. prefaced I have prefaced uh, my problem before getting into it. So, chapter 24. Over the course of nine pages, Rhea speaks to a flower, gets images of a willow tree that knows where the petal is, finds the willow, gets told by the willow to F off because the petal doesn't want to be found, asks where old Eandra is instead, finds Oleandra, who is encased in a cloak of leaves, and projects a flaming face to communicate. The pacing for this book is weird. I feel like that flower just massively trolled her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you want help, you should totally go to that to the tree. Like the willow goes and talks to the flower later, is like, stop sending people to me. 
And the flower's like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Pay me wow. back those three buds I loaned you. I don't know. What's, what's their money? It's probably not more flowers. It's probably not buds, because that's like houses. You don't pay with houses. What are we, rich people? I did keep thinking, like, when there's like, oh, we went back to his bud, I thought of um, that show, The Good Place. He's like, hey, let's hang out in my bud hole, which is like the hole for buds, like your buddies. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the joke. It's supposed to sound like butthole. But yeah, when I got to the end of that chapter, I was like, that felt really quick. I don't know. It felt like she was like, I need, I, I, I want to have more steps for this quest because I feel like quests are supposed to have more steps. Right. But the steps didn't, ne- the, the steps didn't do anything besides make the quest longer. Um, how could they have played it instead? Just like the flower going, I don't know. You could try talking to so and so. I, I mean, it, the queen could have been more direct and been like, listen, I need you to talk to Oleandra. Um, Because I don't know if she knows that Oleandra has, like, the separate plan for the girls. And, like, there's that whole overhearing the stuff, right? Like, yeah, we could, they could have, I don't know, if that, if that was possibly planned, it could have just been reformatted to just telling her directly to go do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a, I, I didn't write this. Uh, all right, all right. Sometimes we we come up with like, how would this have played out better if yeah. we'd done this? Like, we basically replotted out, prepped to make it a better story. That's true. We did, but I think the difference is that one is so glaringly broken. Yeah, this, this, this one, one, this one isn't like this one is just needs like, a few touch ups. Yeah, and sometimes, sometimes like the delicate touch ups are more challenging to think of on the fly. Because you yeah. don't have to be like, well, we need to just replace the engine. It's like we have to like take apart the engine and figure out which piece needs replacing. And so like that's actually kind of a compliment to this book that like we can tell that something isn't working, but we don't have necessarily the obvious why didn't you think of that way to fix it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt that that was that was probably one of the like worst spots in terms of pacing that I found. There's one other spot that I felt like it was also a problem, but um. Yeah, I don't want to linger on it too much because I'm not trying to make like a huge deal out of it. It just oh, yeah, it's fine. Okay, I just thought maybe you'd have like a cool suggestion, but no, not not for you. Now. Don't whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter twenty five. Oleandra suggests an exchange for the petal, but if they agree to it, it will make the group enemies of the crown. Flula is scared of the repercussions for this uh, because she has the whole like. She's part of the, like, fairyland, and they have, like, a delicate sort of, like, balance with the human stuff. And the... There's actually a lot more going on here in terms of, like, the politics and stuff that she, like, introduces that I kind of just glaze over because I didn't I didn't want to have to get into it. Um, it's obvious that she is thinking about more elements of it, and I'm not sure that we needed to know too much about it in this book. Um, long story short, Flula is concerned about what that might mean. So she goes to wait outside while the kids uh, kind of hear the deal out. Uh, It turns out that Oleandra is part of the insurgency, which has been fighting against the queen for some time. The queen took the throne illegitimately, which is what caused the petal to disappear. Oleandra wants Rhea to kill the queen through a battle of nectar magic versus shadow magic, uh, which is the only way she thinks the queen can be defeated. Rhea agrees to try, and the others join in the blood oath, permanently tying themselves to Rhea's quest. 
Oleandra then says the pedal is in the village of the dead, and Rhea makes some pretty big assumptions that the village is literally literally filled with the dead that they're going to have to fight. Uh, Oleandra alludes to some sort of test to pass once they get there, then concocts, a, then concocts a potion that will teleport the group to the village, as well as one for returning. Yeah, she's like, it's in the village of the dead, and she's like, we're going to have to fight zombies? And I'm like, that's a big leap. I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking maybe it was just like an empty village. And it was like a metaphor. I don't know what I was thinking. But oh. I was just, I mostly thought it was funny that she's trying to launch across the table at her. Mm-hmm. And the other two have to like hold her back. Like, okay, can you, can you please develop some chill? Cause you have none. Chapter 26. The group arrives at the village of the dead, a land of souls waiting to depart. And the town tries to put them to sleep so it can claim them. They encounter a banshee that guards the petal and says that only an aliver with a pure soul may pass. Rhea and Zeranther fail, but Leela walks through no problem. The Banshee tells her she must make a sacrifice to receive the petal, and Rhea forces her way through the barrier to make the sacrifice herself. She must either give up a memory or an emotion, and she chooses memory. The Banshee makes her forget her baba, but gives her the petal. Rhea's friends are sad that Rhea doesn't even know what she sacrificed. Which would you pick? I was thinking I'd pick memory as well. Well, here's here's the thing, is when she says, when the Banshee says that you're going to give up an emotion, it's not that you're going to not feel an emotion, it's just that that emotion's going to replace with be replaced with sadness, and so basically the deal is, I give you more sadness, and I was like, I don't, that's totally on a different level. <laughs> I wouldn't mind if they took away, like, like, we're going to take your irritableness at minor things. No, um, I, I was thinking, like, no, nah, I think it's best to just take a memory. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, take your pick. And I'm like, you don't let them pick. It's like, here, you can have this memory of my mom taking me shoe shopping. I don't care. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> I can live without that. Uh, Joke's on you. I have a journal. I've written it all down. Yeah, boo. <laughs> um, I, f- I, like... I, 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 thought, I thought pick memory because you can just make more memories. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Emotion, I, you can't make new emotion. <laughs> right, like... It would be nice if they took my anger. I just feel like just the calmest person in the world. Like, I guess I should be angry with right, you right now, but right, I don't but know here, what that here's is. Here's the thing, if it just replaces all of the times that you would get angry with getting sad, you're going to be sad a lot. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, she never stops crying. It's like, well, maybe you should quit irritating her. <laughs> That's how she manifested her anger to begin with, so how do we even... I feel no different. (laughs) (laughs) That's my secret, Cap. (laughs) I'm always crying. (laughs) And he's like, what is happening right now? (laughs) That would have been a completely different movie. I also, maybe I wasn't clear on the rules of, like, the barrier, but it's like, only someone with a pure soul can pass. And then she's like... Yeah, but what if I just try harder? Like, did that make, did, was that pure because she was doing a selfless act at that point? Was that why she got through? Or? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Cause she's like, no, I don't want my friend having to pay okay. a price for me to do a thing. Yeah. Cause, uh, she's like, okay, you have an impure soul, but you have a whole lot of courage. And I was like, you didn't tell us about the courage loop. Yes. <laughs> Chapter 27. The queen meets with Ekimu. Her closest minister and reveals that, surprise, surprise, she plans to kill Ruan after the ceremony. A guard comes in and reports that Ruan is threatening to poison himself. Chapter 28. The kids return to Oleandra's, but the queen appears and captures Rhea. She traps Rhea in a cell like Ruan's, close to his, 
but he can neither see nor hear Rhea. Uh, Rhea watches as the queen confronts Ruin about threatening to poison himself. He reveals that the book he's been reading in jail, one of a Stranthian law, has taught him the truth about his heritage and the line of succession. Now that he's in the realm, he is next in line to be king. He also read about the obscure case wherein a man was poisoned with berries, and he used that as inspiration. Ruin unlocked his nectar, grew a poison berry tree, and now has the berries which he eats in front of the queen. They will kill him within a day. He then uses a magic blast to destroy the bush. The queen tells him Rhea has come to try and save Ruan, but will fail just like Baba failed. What? And Ruan calls out to Rhea, pleading her not to give up, that he will try and help her. And then real quick aside, I know that Rhea can't remember her Baba now because of the memory thing, but Baba is just a nickname for father. Yeah. So it's weird that she has forgotten like she's apparently forgotten the entire concept of fathers um, <laughs> because it's 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 yeah. not like saying you know robert or something where it's like i don't know right. robert it's just like your dad and she's like what's having a dad oh uh, you mean a man mommy <laughs> what, what are we talking about <laughs> yeah there's a man mommy but i don't have one of those so like maybe she just thinks that like all families have lesbian parents like i don't know I, but I did think that that was, I, I was a bit confused on that. Like, I, I, I thought it would have been more effective for her to be like, our dad. And then she tries to think about him and she can't even picture his face. Yeah. And she's like, why don't I know my own dad? I thought that that yeah. would have been more, like, effective. And then, like, looking at the locket, like, who's this guy I'm carrying around? Yeah. That's weird. Cause then, yeah. Because yeah. she would have been aware of what she was missing and that would have made it more tragic. And then that would have made her sacrifice even more, like... Oh, that would have been a good moment if she's like, what do I have around my neck? And she looks at it and is like, oh, I don't even know who this guy is. Why do I have this? And like snaps it off and like just drops it. And, like, OK, anyway. And like Leela kind of picks it up and tucks it away. And, yeah. Like looking sad. Like that yeah. would have been a good moment. Yeah. I just I thought that something more could have been done with the sacrifice. She's going to sacrifice herself. Have you seen how that's being memed to Helen back? What? <laughs> that Harry Potter part in uh, the first movie. When he's all like, no, Ron, no. And then, uh, what? What's happening? He's going to sacrifice himself. <laughs> and then Ron gives that whole speech about the sh- the chess, like how he has to go. And he goes, oh, not me, you, not, you, not finding you. you. <laughs> but the particular people get the biggest kick out of the, he's going to sacrifice himself. <laughs> But I think that I always thought the yo part was the funniest. Yo! But, yeah. <laughs> now that I'm looking back, I'm going to start with I understand how a chapter works. I understand <laughs> that it is a like it is a fairly self-contained sort of like, you know, segment of scenes and stuff like that. But I did feel like once they got into the like quest for the queen, each chapter was like, we have to introduce a new, like, sort of, like, trial or, like, very, like, isolated sort of thing for them. Um, and uh, I think that's a, that that kind of also was a part of why the, like, pacing felt weird, because the front half felt a bit more like things were, like, flowing and, like, building off each other, whereas the back half feels a little bit more, like, a, a little closer to, like, a staccato, like, encounter, resolve, encounter, resolve um, for some of the things. Um, anyways, chapter 29. 
Rhea tries to talk to Thubian telepathically, but the shadow magic in her cell is too powerful. Suddenly, Xeranthra and Leela appear in disguise and slip Rhea a teleportation potion. They all head to the leafless forest where the psalm is about to sprout. A large crowd has gathered in anticipation. The queen stands above the flower as it blooms, Ruan in chains beside her, and everyone is shocked that there are only two petals. The queen is like, wait, 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 wait! I have the third one. At which point Rhea calls out before everyone that she's the princess and she was the one who found it, not the queen. The queen and Rhea shout back and forth like a high school play. And I'm honestly shocked that the audience would believe that this random girl is the princess. Uh, and then there's an explosion and Ama and Bajai appear. I'm sorry, what the F? Yeah, okay, this whole chapter was a mess. Um, First of all, how the hell did Zoranther and Leela get to the fucking right? castle? Right, that's not addressed! Like, I think it's they're not like, addressed. oh yeah, we just said we're interns or something. Yeah, they're like, um, hey, we're trying out for the club. And I'm like, what? How did you even... Because, okay, we established it's really hard to get across. So how... I guess you could maybe... um. Oh my god, I can't remember her name. Orlanthia, Orlandi, Landra. Orlando Oli- Bloom. Orlando Bloom gave the. That's perfect because <laughs> yeah, she has she's the got flowers. The flowers. <laughs> so Orlando Bloom, get, maybe she gave them potion to like get into the. But if that was a possibility, why couldn't? Oh my god, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of in uh, the last season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They introduced this typical, this uh, particular kind of vampire that they call an uber vamp that like beats the crap out of Buffy. Like, she has a really hard time fighting it, mm-hmm. and it, like, bruises her up and stuff. But when we get to the end of the season, friggin' Dawn and Giles are just, like, staking them no trouble. So it's like, why is it so easy now? So it's like it, it, it had stakes and was difficult when it needed to be, but then at stakes. this point, it's not... What? Stakes. It's vampires. Stakes. It had stakes. I'm also hungry, but, um, (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, no, this, this chapter is really messy. Um, it really felt like it, it really felt like she, I don't, I don't know if there was like some sort of like, they, like a, a, like an artificial length constraint for her or, or what was going on here, but like it, it starts to get really, really messy and really quick towards the end. And I liked your description of, like, they're shouting to each other back and forth, like, this high school play. It also reminded me of, like, uh, this ride. Ride is more like an interactive experience than a ride at an amusement park I went to, where, like, you're standing in the crowd, and then a guy dressed as a bumbling old man comes in, and it turns out he's Poseidon or something, and, like, he argues with, like, Zeus on the screen or something, and then... So it's like this guy in the crowd with you talking up at like the screen and then he disappears and then uh, like another like I don't know then they battle it out on the screen and I'm like why are we here <laughs> is what this reminded me of where I'm just like wait what is this part of it <laughs> is this the movie <laughs> is this the ride <laughs> I think it was called like the Poseidon experience or something I don't know it sucked is basically this was, oh, I don't even know what this amusement park is called anymore, but in uh, late 90s, early 2000s, it was Paramount's Great America in, like, San Diego. No, not San Diego. San Jose, excuse me. <laughs> it was so confusing. Okay, so, well, I'm curious. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, it was renamed to California's Great America. Right. 
they had like a Top Gun ride and there was like a Superman ride that they were just building so we couldn't go on it, I think. Uh, and there was also interactive screen experience that you're like in a 007 movie and like the chair moved around. So that was more like ride like. Yeah. Than the stupid interactive experience. Planet Snoopy opened in 2010. Oh, that was way past my time <laughs> being there. There was also a, a really cool roller coaster. It was called like Dueling Dragons. And it's two different roller coasters, like, and a po- on opposing tracks. And then at, they're supposed to be dueling. So there's a part where, like, you and the other tracks, like, go upside down, like, facing each other. So it kind of looks like there's going to be a collision, but there isn't because it was designed properly. But this is like, it's like this, whoa, moment. There's a, an amusement park podcast that my girlfriend and I have been listening to. I don't think I was an amusement park person. But maybe the idea of, like, wanting to escape the reality of being confined to a very, very small area for a year and a half um, has made me into an amusement park person. <laughs> okay, we're almost okay. done here. Yeah. Chapter 30. Ama and Bajai, all nectared up, confront the queen, who retaliates with shadow magic that cuts Ama. There's a lot of grandstanding and monologuing, but the gist is that Ama can tell that the people hate the queen and are miserable. Meanwhile, the queen thinks Ama was neglectful in trying to protect her kids from being abducted. And how does she know that? She was Mishti Dadi all along! Uh, then there's some more all-caps shouting and threatening, and the queen retains the upper hand and pricks Ruan's finger, dripping blood onto the psalm and completing the ritual. Was that the twist you didn't see? I didn't see that coming. Genuinely didn't. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> That's good because I feel like you're you're pretty good at sniffing out most twists. I don't I don't know. I think it's just it, uh, I, I it might know. be just you have a distrusting nature. I don't know. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> you say distrusting nature. I hear smart. So <laughs> <laughs> I hear wary and prepared. I call it wearered. <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Chapter 31. The petal reconnects with the psalm, and Astranthia's nectar is replenished. Rhea watches Ruan's health continue to drain and decides that enough is enough. She engages the queen in a duel, where somehow a 12-year-old who discovered her magic yesterday is able to shoot concentrated, strategized beams of energy and hold her own against a shadow magic, magic user with decades of experience. The queen offers Rhea a chance to be... Her apprentice, since apparently Rhea's actions of having Leela come to the crack match with her and wanting to know what Amma was up to means she's she's just as devious as her aunt. Rhea, of course, declines and continues to fight. Meanwhile, Zoranther calls for revolution from the crowd. Rhea traps the queen in a plant cage, but the queen breaks it and Rhea is consumed by shadows. Um, okay, okay, I wanted to address a thing. Sure. I was thinking along the same lines as you, as like, she learned this yesterday and suddenly she's a master, but... It is established that Nectar is like the natural, it's part of you, da-da-da, whatever, use the force, Luke, bullshit, blah-blah. But um, the queen is fighting with shadow magic, which is not natural to her, and she never finished the lessons. Like, it was established that she doesn't, she hadn't finished her training, because she's like, yeah, I get the gist of it. And then the, I think she was still was trying to communicate with, like, the master she learned from. And he's just like, you're useless. I'm not answering your letters anymore. And she's like, well, fine. I don't need you anyway. So she's fighting this kid with something she is is not 
natural to her that she didn't finish uh, doing, and the kid's fighting with something that's more intuitive. She she dropped out, uh, but she's still claiming that she has the degree. Yeah, basically. Um, I think that that is a fair point, and I just realized another thing that I think would help, like, I think that helps bring the queen down a peg, but I think what might help bringing Rhea up a peg would be if they connected this to the fact that, canonically, she is a good cricket person. Yes. And I think that if if she had, if there had been a thing where she, like, she thought about it more as if she were playing cricket and, like... I think I, that literally happened. Does it? I didn't, I don't recall it did. that. No, it did, it did. I swear it did. Okay, then I'm, again, the dum-dum. Oh, you're not a dum-dum. Um, it's just, you know, you're probably just like, good, I'm almost done with this. <laughs> just trying to get through it. But no, she really does. She's all like, oh, it's just like playing cricket. And he's like, throw a fast one, slow one, then slow one when they're expecting a fast one. And da-da-da-da. Like, exactly how she was playing cricket earlier. So I was like, okay, I see where they're going with that. Because I, I was initially with you with like, okay, this is like, Ray and the Force Awakens all over again. Like, look at me. I'm doing it really well. And I just learned this, you know. But again, that's, I guess that it is kind of a valid comparison because they're all like, how was she able to master this and be so much better than, you know, Adam Driver? It's like, well, we've established that Adam Driver has no chill and is actually not that good at the Force because he didn't finish his training. <laughs> so, yeah. Boom. She was up against a flawed, uh, not as great sorcerer. Okay, yeah, there it is. Exactly yeah. what I was saying. Yeah. Good. Thanks for listening to my advice in the past. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> okay. so I, I will, I will, uh, I will retract that critique, and it's just that I didn't notice it. Uh, that, that was good on her. I still, I still felt like it was reaching a bit to have them be such equal. Uh, but there are, uh, there are reasons to make it more believable. So, cool. She tried. She tried. She definitely yeah. tried. And it's like, okay, well, why don't I put in here that, like, she's barely holding her stuff together. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Chapter 32. Rhea awakes to find that the queen has fled and everyone has been tending to those injured in the battle. Leandra tells Rhea she will not be punished for failing to kill the queen and that she'll help hone her magic for next time. Because, of course, there will be a next time. Bajai decides to reclaim the throne and help restore Estranthia, while Rhea, Ro Ruan, Ama, and Leela portal back home. They arrive just in time for Diwali. Rhea is handed a sparkler, which is pretty fitting metaphor for the level of excitement this book delivered on for me. And here you go, yay! It was like, it could have <laughs> it could have been a full fireworks display. At the end, it was, it was a nice sparkler, but I, I, I... <laughs> I I really did feel like the the ending needed needed some more it it needed to earn some elements a bit more and it needed to it just needed to space it out a bit differently. I felt like the especially like the last five or six chapters really started to like. Well, they did the thing I hate, where like the the person passes out or whatever. I was like, okay, we'll tell you everything else that. Yeah, happened. it's like oh, you oh, missed yeah. the whole the whole third act there. <laughs> Well, it turns out, like, she just left. She's like, what do you mean she just left? I mean, she left. I don't know. But I don't know what you want me to tell you. <laughs> yeah. And then the psychic horsey antelope is all like, she went to the bowels of the universe or whatever. Or yeah. The south or something. Yeah. And she's like, oh, good. She's really far away. I'm like, how big is this place? Yeah. It was, it was another is one. Is it that of, far it, away? It was one of those, like, 
it's my belief that when you're doing one of these like stories that's intended as a series, it it is good to make allusions to a larger world. However, there is a line where you are delivering too much excess information that may be like inherent to you, the author, but the the reader has no connection to. So between that and all of the ministers of the different subdivisions and things like that, I was like, there's a little bit too much being sprinkled in to where it just, it more feels like I'm not being told stuff as opposed to being hinted that there's more to come in some respects. Yeah. Uh, and then the epilogue. A month later, Leela is visiting Rhea, whose family has been de- debating staying in India or moving to Estranthia permanently. A, stri- a scrap of paper arrives at the door. Uh, the shadows are coming in that sassy SpongeBob font again. Cue sequel! And there is actually, there's a preview of the sequel in here, which I didn't read. Uh, Me I neither. Tend, I tend not to read those, not because I am, like, I don't want to read the sequel eventually, but they often don't pull the first chapter or something like that, and I don't like starting in the middle of it. And But actually, between the end of the book and the little sequel preview, <laughs> I think this might be the longest I've ever seen. Six pages of acknowledgments? I didn't even read it. I was like, too much. I'm like, TLDR. Yeah, I I opened it. I was like, oh, my God. Like, at one point, she just starts, like, telling this whole story. And I'm like, that's not for the acknowledgments. That's for your (laughs) blog. (laughs) I just want the recipe. (laughs) So, yeah, that was Rhea and the Blood of the Nectar. So is this two or three stars for you? I personally put it at a high two. That's a little harsh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> again, well, I, I don't, I don't view, I, again, it's also like I'm, I rate things based on a, a larger scale than what Goodreads reflects. Um, and so just like for a consistency thing, I will, I, I rate all, I rate high twos or like something that would be a high two may actually be in the three range for other people, but it's just how I break it down. Uh, oh. I think okay. for me to give a thing a two, you have to be boring. I wasn't bored reading this, so it's a three. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I, and I, I, I totally respect making it a three as a consensus. Well, since you, you, I think you gave the uh, last book a three, the Raven book. I think it was like a, a high three. Yeah, because you, you liked it, but I'd consider that book a high two. I'm like, uh. I mean, I think that that, that I think that's a, a fair like comparison because I'm not looking at this and being like, again, uh, we've talked about this before. I'm not insulted oh, yeah. by the book or anything like that. No, it's just, uh-uh. and I really like it, it's a. I think that she definitely has potential, and I would I would encourage her to keep writing. I, there are I other people like that I wouldn't encourage to keep writing. I feel like this is an author to watch. Like, yeah, this is an author to watch. Yeah, yeah. She just hasn't awakened her nectar yet. I I also, I do not love calling it Awakening Your Nectar. It feels a little sticky. It's like, is this like, is this like a masturbation reference? What are we talking about here? Is this like a, is this like a menstruation reference? Is this a kissing book? (laughs) (laughs) So that was the book? That was the book. Is this the book? It's the book. This is the book. We, we, we did all of it. I kind of want to make, is this the book, another catchphrase for us. (laughs) So uh, our current plan is that we are actually going to be taking uh, a month off. So we do not plan to release an episode in August. 
we plan instead to return uh, in September with the final book in the Fablehaven series, which is Fablehaven, Keys to the Demon Prison. Depending on how that goes, we will deter- we'll determine if we are going to do the sequel series or not. But I'm not I'm not committing to another five book series without seeing how this one finishes up. <laughs> right, he could completely screw the pooch and will be like, "Oh no, I really th- thought you'd stick the landing, but you fell and and your leg broke." I I would be surprised if he tanks it, but I could see it being like a, all right, okay, you know, I mean, depend- depending on. He's not immune to missteps. Yeah. I felt like in that last book, I'm like, there's some stuff that didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I could, I I would be, I would be surprised if he, like, if it dropped down into, like, the two-star range. I feel like a three-star is kind of low for him. A three-star is pretty low. I don't think he'd ever get to two, because, like, we were just saying, two for me means you bored me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so we will uh we'll talk to you guys in just a little bit longer and uh don't worry if the podcast is not over because we already have plans for our November book. <laughs> Hello fellow kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh, music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com. Uh you can contact us at hfkpodcast at gmail dot com or on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast. We will see ya in September. Bye. Bye.